When you found Mark chapter 6, verse number 30, say amen today. And it says, all the apostles returned to Jesus, and they told him about all that they had done and taught. They had just got back from performing miracles, another gospel account says. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure time to even eat. And they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves, and now many saw them going, and they recognized them. So they ran on foot ahead of them all and got to the towns ahead of them. And when they went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And while it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place. And the hour is late. Send them away and go into surrounding countrysides and villages that they may buy for themselves something to eat. But Jesus answered them, you give them something to eat. Don't you love Jesus? (laughs) You give them something to eat. And, And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to all the people to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when he had found out, they said they have five loaves and two fish. And he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. And so they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave it to the disciples and set it before the people. And they divided the two fish among them all and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of pieces of bread and of the fish and those who ate the loaves and the fish were about 5,000 men immediately after that he made his disciples get into a boat and go on before him to the other side of Bethsaida while he stayed and dismissed the crowd after he had taken leave of them he went up on a mountainside to pray and evening came and a boat was out on the sea and he was alone on the land and he saw them and they were making headway painfully and the wind was against them and about the fourth watches of night which was between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. he came to them walking on the water and he meant to pass them by but they saw him walking on the sea and thought it was a ghost and they all cried out for they saw him and were terrified but immediately he spoke to them and said take heart it is I do not be afraid and he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased And they were utterly astonished, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hard. All right, I know that was a lot of scripture, but as we begin this account with the five loaves and the two fishes, I want you to um, realize this. You cannot separate the two miracles that we just read about. You cannot separate them because it talks about feeding the 5,000. And then at the end of Jesus walking on the water and he sat in the boat, he brings up, they did not understand the loaves and the fish. So you cannot separate the two miracles. And many times in the English versions of the Bible, we have them separated. We got, oh, Jesus fed the 5,000. Oh, you guessed like five years later he walked on water. Oh, you guessed this. Because we have it so segmented throughout the scripture. But if you read it in its actual context, what was really actually happening here was a long four-day period beginning at Mark chapter number 6, verse number 1. And I didn't want to read the whole chapter to you this morning. But I want to start at chapter number 1 and set the scene for you. Chapter number 6, verse number 1, Jesus, he was in his own hometown preaching at Nazareth, and he was rejected by a bunch of people, and they said, this is just the carpenter's son, this is Jesus, we know him, his mother is Mary, and we know his sisters and his brothers, and he was rejected in Nazareth, and the Bible says he could only do a few miracles in that place, and so directly after that, he could only do a few miracles in that place, He went and he sent his disciples out because they wouldn't believe Jesus. So Jesus empowered his disciples to go out. And that's where he said, don't take a cloak, don't take a tunic, don't take any of these things. Go out and teach and preach and do miracles. Lay your hands on the sick and watch them recover. Cast out demons and do all those things. And so he sent them out to do the miracles. 
And so they come back rejoicing, and that's where we pick up in the account of Mark. They come back rejoicing and tell Jesus where we started in Mark 30. But if you read in the Gospel of John, there's something that occurs between the disciples going out and them coming back. John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, is killed. And so right after Jesus' cousin is killed, all the disciples come back in Mark 6, verse number 30, telling about all the amazing things Jesus did. Jesus is mad that John the Baptist just got beheaded. And so now Jesus walks up, and he's trying to say, all right, this is what just took place. John the Baptist just got killed. I know y'all are excited, but let's all get away to a desolate place. Y'all are spent. Y'all are worn out. Let's us get away. And so as they were going away, they got in a boat to go to a desolate place, Well, they didn't go too far off the sea, and the people saw them, so they began to follow the boat down the seashore. And crowds began to gather. And so when they get to this desolate place of nothingness, the Bible says there's just green grass out there. There was nothing. They get off the boat, and these crowds of people are there, thousands upon thousands of people. And Jesus, instead of saying, get out of here, because he was having an awful, horrible, terrible, very bad day. Amen. His cousin just got killed. Well, I believe he's one of his best friends, even possibly one of his mentors in the faith. Got killed. And so Jesus says, let's get away. And all the people show up. Have you ever just wanted to get alone? It's like, y'all just leave me alone. Just get away from me for a little bit. Give me my time, my space. Jesus gets off the boat. And in the midst of the darkest moment of one of Jesus' moments in Jesus' life, in the midst of that darkest moment, he had the opportunity to do the greatest miracle. In the midst of his darkest moment, he had the opportunity to do the greatest miracle. So they get off the boat, Jesus and the 12 disciples. These crowds of people are around. And as he gets off the boat, the Bible said Jesus had compassion on them. So he began to teach them all day long again. And so you realize that the disciples have been out preaching and teaching all day long. The day before, they just got back. Jesus said, let's get in the boat and go. People followed him. It became the next day. And so Jesus gets off the boat. All the people are still there. They still didn't say they stopped and ate. (laughs) You know in the South we'd have a problem with that. Pastor, we ain't going on a three-day revival with no food, okay? And so he stops it. He gets out. They get out of the boat. And this is where the account picks up. And so I want you to look at what happened throughout the first part of uh, of Mark chapter 6. Because basically this is... The Christian life that we see in many people's lives today. You got punch, counterpunch, punch, counterpunch, punch, and then counterpunch. How many of you know when you're a believer, you start walking, God does something amazing, immediately counterpunch. Something else amazing happens, counterpunch. Something awesome happens, counterpunch. Jesus didn't quit punching. Jesus got rejected. He got punched. He's counterpunching back. I'm going to send out all my disciples. I'll show you. And so the disciples get back rejoicing. Counterpunch happened. John the Baptist dies. Jesus gets in a boat. He said, I'm going to punch back. I'm going to feed 5,000 people. Right? What are you going to do in the midst of your darkest moment? Punch back. Right? I want you to start punching. I, I would say do it now, but the person in front of you may not appreciate that. Amen? And so when we as a believer start reading the account in the way it's supposed to look, it's like you got punch and counterpunch, punch and counterpunch, punch and counterpunch. And so I'm entitling this message where Jesus doesn't get punched again. Jesus throws two punches at once. He's going to do two of his greatest miracles back to back. And he does this in one of the times when he wanted to be alone and grieving. He does two greatest miracles. And I entitled this message, Two Tank Dive. Two-tank dive. I entitled it two-tank dive because when you go on a scuba dive, you can go on a one-tank dive. That's where you're going out in a boat, get to a place, you got one tank of air, and you're going down under the water for one dive. You come back up to the top of the boat, and you go back to the land. 
Or you can pay more money, which is what I like to do, and go on a two-tank dive where you got two tanks of air. You go, you get one tank, you go down, and then you see all this amazing stuff. You come back up to the top, you get back on the boat, you rest for about an hour because of all the oxygen levels got to get back, balanced out in your lungs. Then you get another tank on, you go back down again for another hour underwater, and then you come back up. Jesus said, I'm doing a two-tank dive today. He's going to do two of the greatest miracles that he ever did, and we're going to follow him. So Jesus on his first dive, he says this in the verse number 34, and the Bible says he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place, and the hour is late. Send them away that they could go to their countryside and villages to get something to eat. But Jesus answered them, you give them something to eat. And he said to them, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread to give them all something to eat? And Jesus asked them, how many loaves and fish do you have? Go and see. Go and see. Now, what we are about to see here is Jesus is about to do his first miracle. He is about to multiply loaves and fish. He's about to multiply the five loaves of bread and the two fish to feed 5,000, everybody say 5,000 men. We know that there were more than just men there, okay? So at minimum, if there's 5,000 men and each man had a spouse and each spouse had a kid, with them, there's 15,000 people there. Many theologians believe there's between 15,000 and 20,000 people on this shore that Jesus was about to feed. And the first point I want to make to you this morning is Jesus cannot multiply what we will refuse to recognize. Jesus cannot multiply what we will refuse to recognize. You have giftings and qualities in your life that God wants to use, but Jesus cannot multiply what we will refuse to recognize. You read in the accounts of the scripture, and this is in Mark chapter th- uh, 6, verse 45, it says there is about 5,000 men. The account of John says that they found a boy that had five loaves and two fish. The boy wasn't even counted with the 5,000 men, so it was somebody who was uncounted, unrecognized, that had the catalyst to perform the miracle that would feed almost 20,000 people on the shore. See, for so long in your life, you've been counted out. You've counted yourself out. For some reason, you've just qualified yourself, and you will refuse to recognize. And so if you refuse to recognize, God cannot multiply. The little boy who had the five loaves and the two fish wasn't even counted in the number. How many of y'all were glad he was there? (laughs) Right? All the hungry people said, amen. (laughs) And so as Jesus begins to do this, he said, there's five loaves and there's two fish by an uncounted person. No doubt that this uncounted person had a mama who probably packed his lunch that day who was an uncounted person. So two uncounted people performed the miracle or actually had the substance to perform the miracle that Jesus needed. What we have got to realize at the church is there is no one uncounted. The fact of the matter is, is the devil has deceived you and lied to you and said, you don't have anything that can offer the Bible or the kingdom of God that is even useful. You can't sing, you can't dance, you can't play an instrument, you can't preach, you can't teach. You just need to come and you need to sit in a chair and you need to do nothing. God cannot multiply what we will refuse to recognize. See, the disciples refused to recognize what was with them. Jesus said, what do you have? And they said, we don't know. He said, well, go and find out. (laughs) Go and find out. See, the problem with many believers is this, is we're afraid to go and find out what we actually got because when we realize what we actually got, God will begin to multiply what we actually got and will be useful for the kingdom, right? Oh, but that takes a little bit of faith. And some of us, you may have not been counted out by other people, but you've counted yourself out. Because you had so many marital issues, how could God possibly use me for his kingdom? 
Because my kids don't act a certain way, how could God possibly use me for his kingdom? Because I have this past, how could God possibly use me for his kingdom? I want to re- make you realize this this morning. God wants and needs to use you for his kingdom. And will you, when you realize the thing that you think disqualifies you may be actually the thing that qualifies you for ministry. Some of y'all missed that. I'm going to say that again. When you realize what you think actually disqualifies you for ministry, actually qualifies you for ministry, because you know it's not about you, then it's about the God in you, not your past and what you've done, he'll be able to use you for ministry. If you have ever been divorced and are in this church, you better get ready to be used for ministry. I'm telling you now, divorce is rampant in the world. And there is a huge ministry out there for people who have gone through a divorce and now have figured out how to do marriage right, who can go back and minister to people who are struggling in a marriage and get their disqualifying thing and make it their qualifying thing for the kingdom of God. It is time that you quit counting yourself out. In fact, it's time that we realize I'm going to stand up and be counted. God is ready for a church to say, I'm going to stand up and be counted. The world can count me out. The people in the church can count me out. The government can count me out. The the family can count me out. I don't care who counts me out because you were counted one day 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary for you. You were counted. And when you got counted, there's a quality in you that God wants to multiply, but God cannot multiply what we will refuse to recognize. It's time that we begin to recognize what God has in our midst to do the miracle. It's the little boy who did it. And a lot of you are at the place where Well, if God's going to do something, it's going to have to be a miracle because the place we're at is impossible. The place we're at in whatever circumstance we're in is impossible. Listen to this. Impossible is the starting place of God. Impossible is the starting place of God. Reason number one for that, because if it isn't impossible and you could do it by yourself, you should already be doing it if it's in the Bible. See, a lot of people are saying, oh God, I want to do something amazing for your kingdom. And he's saying, I just want you to do what I've already told you to do right? I just want you to love the way I've already told you to love, and when you start loving the way I told you to love, then I can do something else. So the reason why God starts at impossible, because if it's already possible for you to be doing it, you should already be doing it. So I want you to go out and start doing it. The second reason is God starts at the in place of impossible because he starts there because in your life, if it didn't take impossible to do it, you would think you had something to do with it. We are at a landmark day at TWBC. We are starting two services continually for here on out and going to three in a couple of years. Amen. Come on. And we're on a walk of faith. And you want to know why I'm so excited this morning? Because we're at impossible. We are at impossible. And I realized that I had nothing to do with it, and that's why God could start doing something with it. When you'll recognize that it's not anything to do with you and all to do with him, he's going to start doing the miracles in your life. The Bible says this, that he, Jesus said, go to a desolate place. Have you ever wondered why God would tell his people to go to a desolate place? Man, if I wanted to relax, if, if my whole staff came to me, Damon and, and Mitch and Jeff and Ty and everybody came to me and said, Pastor, we're hungry. We've been ministering for three days straight. And I said, go out to the middle of the Mahoney Bottom where there's nothing. You think they'd be happy with me? They were thinking, I was thinking we could go to Rockwall and go to Saltgrass I mean, Mellow Mushroom Pizza Place sounds pretty good right now. He said go to a desolate place. Why? Because impossible is the starting place of God. 
They were put in an impossible situation right there. Why was it so impossible? Number one, it was a desolate place. Number two, by the time they were going to feed everybody, they said the hour was late. McDonald's had already closed. They couldn't go. The convenience stores were done. There are no more hot dogs on the rolly rack. Amen? It was done. So they were in a desolate place where there weren't any restaurants, and even if they were, they would already been closed. And then beyond that, it said it would take 200 denarii to feed all these people. Y'all, that's 200 days wages to feed all these people. And understand what Peter was saying here. And I, I just say it was Peter because he's usually the one who pipes up, okay? Understand what he was saying here. He wasn't saying it was two, if Peter made $100 a day and it took 200 days, that was $200,000 to feed the people. That's not what he was saying. It would have been $200,000 times the 12, $2.4 million to feed all the people, is what Peter was saying. Because he said, Jesus, you're the rabbi. You don't count. You're above us. You tell us what to do. It would take $200 a day at $100 a day to feed all these people. Times 12 of us that are here, it would cost $2.4 million to feed all these people. Do, do you see the impossible situation? Now do you see why it's so important for you to be counted? Because God starts with impossible. This little boy comes up with five loaves and two fish. He said, I ain't got much, Jesus, but I ain't even counted here. It, I don't know. I'm just a little boy with five loaves and two fish, but what I got is yours. With five loaves and two fish, Jesus can meet a $2.4 million need. Impossible is the starting place of God. They were at a desolate place. And so as they began to perform this miracle, Jesus gave thanks and broke it, gave it to the disciples. So the miracle took place in the disciples' hands. So it took place in the disciples' hands, and they were handing out all this bread. And as they began to hand it out, this is what Jesus first told them to do. He said, command them to sit down on the green grass in groups. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. And so many want to feed the 5,000, but the first thing you've got to realize is this. God will perform a miracle in your life when you begin to listen to instruction and put things in order. God will do a miracle in your life when you begin to listen to instructions and put things in order in your life. I'm not saying you do it all by yourself, but I'm saying you've got to start doing what you know to do. I want a miracle, but I'd rather sleep in and not even get up and go to church. You know if you're going to get a miracle, it's not happening in your bed. If you want a miracle, it's not going to be because you laid in and overslept from church. It's going to be because you did what you knew to do, and that's get up and go where you knew the presence of God would be, and that's at a worship service. People call me all the time, Pastor, you got to pray. I just need a miracle. Well, I sure have been missing you the past six weeks at church. I know, we've just been busy. How are you going to ask for a miracle when you're not even doing what you know to do? God is a God of order. The Bible says in the New Testament how you conduct a worship service. Everything should be done in decency and in order. Jesus, if he was going to perform the miracle, he had to get some order going on. He said, sit down in groups of 50s and 100s. And can you imagine what these people did? This is, I'm sure this was the expression on the people's face. It was this. Jesus, we're starving. We're ready to go eat, and you're telling us to sit down, and you want to preach more? Do you understand that? I, I've seen some of y'all. I know why y'all come to early service, because y'all are at the restaurants by 10 o'clock now. <laughs> Amen? They're saying this. Pastor can't go late. He got to start again in 30 minutes. I'm on. I'm getting this. I'm at the restaurant. I'll be able IHOP before IHOP's even open with pancakes. Amen. And as you begin to get order in your life, God will begin to bless your life. He had the people sit down in groups of 50s and 100. And you know what that took for them to do? It took a step of faith for them to sit down 
and receive from God. They didn't know what Jesus was about to do. They just knew that they were all hungry. It was late. Jesus has been preaching since the boat landed on shore this morning. We've been around. There's 20,000 of us. Everybody stinks because it's hot. We're in the Middle East, right? And you're telling us to sit down in groups? I'm going. We experienced the same thing at altar call at church. Pastor went long this morning. I'm not in the mood to stay for an altar call. He, Jesus didn't meet my need during the message. I'm leaving as soon as he says amen to this prayer. I'm sliding out during the prayer so I don't have to worry about it. Oh, see, we walk out before God's ready to do the miracle. Jesus just said, stay and stay, stay here and sit down in groups of hundreds and groups of 50, and I'm going to change your life. And as they sat down in groups of hundreds and groups of 50, Jesus took five loaves and two fish from an uncounted little boy who had nothing to offer, so he thought, with a $2.4 million need that needed to be met, and he said, get ready. I'm fixing to bless the world at the hands of these 12. And we're worried about 400 people. How can we do this? How can we do that? Jesus said, get ready. I can meet a $2.4 million need by unqualified people if they'll just sit down and listen to instruction. That's good stuff, and we're not even to the deep part of the message yet. <laughs> and so Jesus broke the bread and the fish, and they distributed it to all. And after they distributed it to all, they all ate. And after they all ate, guess what happened? Jesus, immediately after this amazing miracle took place, looked at his 12 people that just did it all. He said, gather the 12 baskets. Y'all get in the boat, and you go to Bethsaida. Jesus said, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to dismiss everybody. Y'all get in the boat and start going to Bethsaida. So he got them in the boat. He sent them off to Bethsaida. They each had a basket. There were 12 baskets. So they all got in the boat, started sailing off. Jesus dismisses the crowd. Jesus goes up on the mountain to pray. And as he's praying, he looks out and he sees them struggling as they're rowing to Bethsaida. And so Jesus begins to walk on the water to come find them. And remember the point I just made. If you're wanting to see a miracle in your life, you must begin to listen to instruction. The disciples could have got very mad about uh, 500 meters rolling out into the water and looked around and said, this is ridiculous. We're never going to make it across to Bethsaida. Do you see this wind that's come up? It's stopping us in our tracks. Let's go around and go to the shore. Remember this, the miracles of God will begin to take place when you begin to listen to instructions. So immediately he made his disciples get into the boat in verse 45 and go on before him to the other side of the Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And evening came and the boat was on the sea and he was alone on the land and he saw that they were making headway painfully for the wind was against them. How many of you know whenever Jesus gives you specific instructions, it's like you're rowing against the wind? <laughs> You know, it says they were making headway, but it was painful, it was a struggle, because it's, the Bible specifically says this, the wind was against them. Something was against them. And so as they were painfully making headway, the wind was against them. Jesus comes walking on the water. Now get this. This is going to make somebody make some of y'all think. Jesus was walking on the water, and the Bible says he meant to pass them by. Boy, that make me all kinds of mad. I ain't even going to lie. Jesus, I'm out here struggling. Everybody start rowing. Everybody row with me for a minute, okay? Just row with me. I know it's early, but we're getting our workout this morning. We're rowing this morning. Make your painful, ugly face. Ah, straining. Headwinds against you. Here comes Jesus. Hey, what's up? Just chilling, walking on the water. And some of y'all are like, Jesus, they're your people. Why didn't you stop and help them? Jesus, where did you go? The Bible says he meant to pass them by. Listen to this point. God has more faith in you than you have in you. Jesus was going to meet them where he told them to be. Jesus said, I'm going to walk on the water and I'm going to be at Bethsaida and I'm going to be waiting for you when you get across the sea. 
See, he got in the boat over here and said, y'all go to Bethsaida. Jesus started walking after they had took off. Jesus was going to be where he told them to end up at. See, between the two miracles, when something takes place in the middle, what takes place in the middle a lot of times is called a storm. And you just witness this miracle, and you get halfway to the next miracle when you're so far away from that miracle you don't remember it, but you're not close enough to that miracle to see it, and you're in the midst of the storm making painful headway. Guess what? Jesus is already at Bethsaida waiting for you to show up because he's got faith you're going to make it there. And that's not the good part yet either. We're still getting to the good part. And so we had tank one dive, you feeds the 5,000. Tank two dive, you just saw it. Jesus walks on the water across, and he's going to Bethsaida, meant to pass them by. The disciples cry out, thinking he's a ghost, and they're crying out and say, Jesus, in the midst of his journey to Bethsaida, waiting for them to get there, when you cry out, Jesus, he'll get in your boat. He'll get in your boat. And the Bible says, immediately when Jesus got in the boat, the wind ceased. The storm stopped. Here's where we dive deeper. And here's what we got to realize. Many of you are in the middle between two miracles. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, guys. The Bible says it was, it was the fourth watch. This was between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. in the morning. They dismissed him the night before. So they'd been rowing. And according to Jewish custom, you have to be in before dark. So before 9 o'clock that night, we're to say if they got in there right at dark at, at the, 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 that watch, they, they took off at 9 o'clock at night. Now they've been rowing about seven and a half, eight hours, painful headway. Jesus strolling on by, passes them, meant to pass them by. And some of y'all would have got upset at Jesus instead of called out to Jesus. This is where we mess up a lot of times at the church. We don't call out to Jesus, we get mad at Jesus because we think he's passed us by. He's never passed you by, he's waiting to meet you where he told you to be. And listen, the Bible ends this whole account with this. Jesus got in the boat, the wind ceased, everything stopped. And the Bible says this, they didn't understand the loaves of bread, so their hearts were hardened. Now, does anybody find that peculiar? They didn't understand the loaves of bread, Damon, and their hearts got mad. Uh, what's the deal? Jesus, you just walked on water, sat in a boat. The loaves and the bread was, was, was a whole day ago. I mean, in our, in our generation, that may have been, as well been a year ago. Understand, there were 12 disciples. Jesus said, pick up 12 baskets full of the leftovers, the broken pieces. There were 12 disciples, 12 basketfuls. They were the 12 leaders that got in the boat to go across the si other side of the ocean. When you begin to forget the prior things that Jesus did in your life, you'll never make it to the other side of the ocean. Each person, each disciple had a basket that they could have brought on that boat. God will give you the substance for the hour that you're in, in the boat that you're on, to get you to Bethsaida where he's called you to be. Jesus had to get into the boat with them because they wouldn't have made it to Bethsaida because they had forgotten about the miracle that took place and the evidence of the miracle that was still right before them. He had given them the provision to get to Bethsaida, but they forgot about the provision that God had given them. Many of you in your life, if you'll begin to look back at the previous miracles God has done, he's left pieces left over that you are supposed to be carrying with you today that's going to get you to your miracle that's going to show up on the horizon tomorrow. Amen? And many of you need to start rehearsing the miracles of God that you've seen taking place in your life. Because the miracles of God in your past are not teasers of how God's not showing up now, but they're your provision for how Jesus is still there now and is meeting you at the other side at Bethsaida. But many of us, we get mad and we begin to call out at God rather than cry out to God. God, if you were really here, you would have showed up by now. God, if you really love me, God, if you really cared for me, God, if you really, if you really, if you really here for me, God, just show up in physical manifestation now because I don't even know if you exist anymore. See, the disciples called out to him. They didn't call out at him. Jesus understands that you got painful headway going on. 
He understands the struggle and the trial that you're in. Jesus got so much faith in you, he's not meaning to pass you by to leave you behind. He's passing you by because you got provision in your boat that's giving you substance to get you to the destination where he knows you're going to be at. That's how he can be the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He was there after you left, but he's going to be there before you get there. Do you understand? He was fulfilling who he is even when they didn't understand who he is. They all knew. The 20,000 people on the shore knew. They are the 12 disciples. They all knew the Jesus who could break the loaves and divide the fish. But only 12 of them got to see the Jesus who walks on water. God's calling a church to see him walk on water, not break loaves and fish. The masses saw him break loaves and fish. He's calling the elite to watch him walk on water. He's calling the elite to rise up this morning and say, if you need a miracle, he's got your miracle. But in that miracle is your provision for the days to come because he's calling you to a different place. God's ready to see some people know him different than your mama told you about. We know about the Jesus who died on a cross, whose blood saved us, and his grace has rescued us, and by faith we're born again and we're going to heaven. We know about that Jesus. The masses know about that Jesus. But what the world doesn't know about is still the God who saves, heals, delivers, does miracles like we've never seen before in this generation. And God is calling a church. He's calling a church out to rise up and say, tell them about Jesus, tell them about my blood, tell them about my grace, because they all need it, but then show them my miracles as we walk on water together.